The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Noah. This is Noah Lewis. If y'all have not had a chance yet to meet him, he is a uh, recent graduate and is in, on our intern as a investigating if the Lord is leading him into a replant ministry. So get to know him and be praying where the Lord may, may direct him. Uh, thank you so much for coming again. My name is Larry Babb. Good to see everybody here. I serve as a, an elder here at Bayless, and it is my privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you today. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series uh, through the book of Psalms. Today we are in Psalm 23. It is uh, arguably the most popular psalm and perhaps the most preached of the psalms, uh, if not the entire uh, body of Scripture, so uh, no pressure. Uh, we, put it, we put this Scripture on plaques in our living room because it uplifts the downtrodden. We love to hear ministers preach on it at funerals because it comforts the grieving heart. However, this psalm is appropriate for every situation, every occasion. In Psalm 23, we see God's goodness. We see His grace. We see His security. We see His sovereignty. As we contemplate what it teaches us about God, our affection can grow deeper as we learn to rely upon Him more. And if you are here today skeptical of the claims that the Bible makes, uh, it's my intention to provide you a, a glimpse uh, into what authentic Christianity looks like. I am hopeful that you will come away today with a better understanding of the Savior we serve and why it is that we place our faith in Him alone. There are many who claim this passage for God to meet their earthly needs. And while it is true that God does provide things like food, rest, shelter, protection, we may miss the heart of the message if we limit it to only our most tangible and immediate needs. In reality, this passage gets to some deeper, more spiritually significant needs that we may not even be aware of. Just as David knew God as his shepherd, we can know Jesus as our good shepherd. This psalm of David shows us several ways in which the good shepherd relates to his sheep. First of all, the shepherd knows his flock. This is a very personal psalm for David. He understood what it was to be a shepherd. He was well acquainted with what sheep uh, required in order for them to thrive. Throughout the Bible, 
God reveals Himself with many different names that reflect His nature and His character, His glory and His majesty. But none of those names are so humble as the one that David uses here, my shepherd. For those unfamiliar with ancient Israel, the shepherd was not a prestigious position. It was common and blue-collar, a necessary function, uh, but one that was not necessarily exalted. The sheep are not especially intelligent as herd animals go. They have little in the way of natural weaponry to protect them from predators. Thus, caring for and protecting the sheep was a hard work, and it required long hours. So by calling God his shepherd, David was casting himself in the role of a sheep. Dependent upon God for all things. Now this concept of being sheep, in fact we even make a, a joke about it in our culture, being sheep, you're following along with the herd, or the derivative of that, calling others part of the sheeple, of this mindless tag-along following group was not designed to be uh, necessarily a compliment. And this concept of being sheep flies in the face of rugged American individualism and the Frank Sinatra, I did it my way mentality. But in fact, the Christian journey starts with the realization, I can't do it all on my own. My bondage in sin is too great for me to overcome alone. I tried to clean up my life, and I only made a bigger mess of it. It is far too easy for me to yield to the temptations that come my way. It is my natural state to do the things, to pursue those things, which ultimately will be harmful to me, and will damage my relationship with God. Only by coming to rely upon Christ fully and completely can I be free from the shackles of sin and enjoy the fellowship of my Savior. At first glance, reading Psalm 23 seems to present a life free from strife. It seems to indicate that sheep lack for nothing, that they fear no evil, and goodness follows them forever. And that sounds great, right? Well, as we read Scripture, we find that David's life was far from safe. It wasn't all sunshine and roses, as we may surmise from this passage. In fact, David spent a great deal of time under attack and on the run. King Saul sought to kill David on multiple occasions. The Philistines around Israel wanted him dead. His best friend Jonathan was killed. For his part, David committed adultery and murder, and his infant son died as a consequence of his sin. David unwisely called for a census 
and the nation Israel suffered for it. One of David's sons raped his half-sister and was in turn murdered by her brother. That same son, Absalom, later waged a civil war against David and was slain. In David's old age, another son, Adonijah, sought to usurp the throne before David had announced his successor. In truth, David's life was a far cry from the tranquility we see presented in Psalm 23. So we need to look a little deeper below the surface and uncover the meaning that God has waiting for us. What David understood in his struggles is that life following God is good, but it is not easy. To equate ease with goodness is to miss what this psalm teaches. Life is good if that life is in Christ. Life have peace if that life rests in Christ. David had the confidence that God was his shepherd and would not abandon him even when he messed up. And the occasions of David's sins were not overlooked by God, but they were addressed so as to deal with the wrongdoing and restore David to fellowship. David knew that God could be trusted to lead him rightly. And God knew David, calling him a man after God's own heart. So too does Jesus know you if you are his sheep. Jesus states in John 10, the first four verses, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The life of someone who belongs to Jesus is characterized by a desire to know him better by the regular study of his word, spending time conversing with him in daily prayer, and obediently pursuing his gospel mission. By contrast, there are people who assume they have a relationship with God, but in reality, they lack a genuine desire to know Him. Consequently, they do not belong to Jesus. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there's no spiritual checklist. There's no amount of church work that can substitute 
a genuine relationship with Jesus. And a significant part of knowing Jesus and being by known Him is evidenced by contentment. Not that you and I will get everything we want in life, but God knows what we need and that we can find satisfaction with what He has put into our hands and placed into our hearts. We live in a society of perpetual dissatisfaction, do we not? How much is enough money? More. How large a house do I need? Bigger. I work labor all day on my lawn to, to get it looking right. And I come in and I pick up a magazine called Better Homes and Garden. Better than whose? Better than mine. What I have doesn't look so good. Now I see what other people have. Dissatisfied. Did you know that if you own a car, if you dwell in a permanent structure of some sort, and if you have full-time, non-seasonal employment, that you are in the top 5% wealth of the world. Does that surprise you? In America, we have more possessions than the vast majority of humanity, and yet it's not enough. We are still prone to fixate on our perceived lack, those things that we do not have, instead of appreciating the abundance of the things of which we have been blessed. It was the Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon who once said, I have all things and abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. That was Spurgeon's supplier. Having stuff will not make us happy. I heard once time uh, an adage that money cannot buy happiness, but with it you can afford to be miserable. And no more is that true than in America. The only escape from this cycle of discontent is to find joy in Christ. Someone who is infinite in his ability to supply what we need. In him alone is where we can find lasting rest and peace. The second way the great shepherd relates to his flock is not only does the great shepherd know his flock, but he also leads his flock. I grew up on a cattle ranch. And the distinction is cattle must be driven, but sheep must be led. Sometimes we expect the Lord to lead us on a path that will take us to where we already want to go. It may be to a loving spouse. It may be to a successful career. It may be to a life of comfort or to find the house of our dreams. And all those things can be good and wholesome uh, to be sure. But as we study Scripture, we are told of a better path that God is leading us on. Specifically, our shepherd leads us along the path of righteousness. 
Jesus' death on our behalf gives us a right relationship with God. And developing habits of righteous decision-making, taking righteous action, using righteous speech, and having a righteous attitude. Those things that are pleasing to God. Those things can take a lifetime. The journey is not necessarily the easiest path or the path of least resistance, as David learned. But it will produce the greatest amount of righteousness in God's people. Jesus himself warned us it would be difficult, this path of righteousness. In Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, he makes this statement. First, the command, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the path is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The path of righteousness has a purpose. Even if there are trials and suffering along the way. Why does God do this? For his name's sake we are told. God's desire is that His people, who are not only declared righteous, but will have actual, effective righteousness in their lives. So what does it mean that God leads us for His namesake? Why is, it, why is that better than leading us for my namesake? There is a strong link throughout the Bible of God's glory being tied to our good. In fact, it is only a desire for God and His glory that can comfort us in the valley of shadow of death, can lead us on to the pastures of joy. And one of the main reasons we wander away from our shepherd is the commitment to my namesake, distrusting that God is as committed to my joy as I am. And he is better equipped to pursue joy on my behalf. Jesus teaches his disciples that as a good shepherd, he would lead them into truth. He guides them in truth on the path of righteousness. In Matthew 6, verse 31 to 33, Jesus says, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Sometimes we pursue things our way for our means, for our glory, rather than follow Christ, follow His way of righteousness. Do things His way, let Him respond with the blessings. When we make God's kingdom a priority, I set aside what I want, put what He wants first. I pursue righteousness, what's right in His eyes, not what's right in my eyes. Even if I have to suffer, even if I have to sacrifice for it, 
Not only do we get a blessing, but we make great the name and reputation of Christ. As we pursue righteousness, we give God the opportunity to work through us and in us to display to the world around who He is, that He is able to save, that He is able to provide, that He gives rest, He gives joy, He gives peace, rather than we doing it on our own devices and under our own strength. Third, not only does the shepherd know his flock and lead his flock, he also feeds his flock. It is here in our passage that we see a subtle shift of God from shepherd to God as host. Verse 5 tells us, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. During the time in which David wrote this psalm, there was a, an important tradition among the Israelites. Hospitality. When a guest entered your home for dinner or fellowship, their needs and safety became your responsibility. It was also an accepted tradition in the ancient world for a respectable guest to stay for a few days and then excuse himself rather than, and rather than leave rather than overstay his welcome. But notice that with God as our host, we are invited to stay not just for a day or two, but forever. When God is your host, you become family. Jesus said in John 14, Verse 6 verses. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And our good shepherd feeds us the truth through his word. The truth about our condition. I am a sinner. The truth about the consequences of my sin. The wages of sin are death. The truth about the solution to my condition, that Jesus died to pay the price of my sins so that God's sense of justice would be satisfied. And the truth about my decision, that I am free to repent of my sin and accept Jesus' gift of salvation. And Jesus wants everyone to be a part of his flock. He has made that possible. In Luke 15, he says, in verse 4 to 7, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open country and go after the one who is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That is why it's so important that Bayless strives to be a church that is gospel-centered and faithful to proclaim the truth from the full counsel of God's Word. Even if it is unpopular or runs counter the cultural trends of our society around us, God earnestly desires to see all men reconciled to Himself. Christ gave His life willingly so that no obstacle could keep you from Him. And the church labors tirelessly so that every man, woman, and child might hear the good news of Jesus and respond. May we never cease in declaring that there is hope, there is mercy, there is grace to be found through the blood of Jesus. And once we decide to follow Jesus as our shepherd, David says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This phrase in verse 6 has a very special meaning in the original language. The word follow means to pursue. So God's mercy and goodness are not merely trailing behind us like scattered toys in the wake of a child moving through a house. No, His goodness, His mercy are relentless. God will chase you down to bestow goodness and mercy upon you. Even as we find ourselves in the valley of shadow of death, we have assurance bound up in our faith in Jesus. Finally, not only does the shepherd know his flock, lead his flock, and feed his flock, but he also protects his flock. David states here that when God is our host, we can sit down even among our enemies and God will protect us. A good host ensures the safety of his guests at all costs. And Jesus paid the price to keep us from harm with his own blood. We have a spiritual enemy, if we're in the flock of Jesus, called Satan. He wants to see us stumble. He wants to see us fall. He wants to see us stray from the path of righteousness, becoming ineffective for the kingdom-building work that Christ has given us and forfeiting the blessings that God intends for us to have. But Satan is powerless before our host. Jesus has overcome sin and death and hell. We need not cower before any enemy, but we can instead enjoy the abundance of our host's table. But you may be asking, why can we be so sure of this? That our good shepherd will protect us and not abandon us in our moment of need. Well, Jesus proclaims in John 10, verses 11 to 14, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. One of our greatest fears is going through the valor or shadow of death alone. And we are right to fear 
But Jesus already did that. He was led into his valley alone. He faced his death alone so that you and I would never have to. Friends, do you want to know this shepherd? Do you want to experience the safety and joy that comes with being under his care? Jesus identifies himself as this shepherd, the shepherd we need. And he urges us also in John 10, verses 7 to 29, the voice, the sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. He's sovereign, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. God is undefeated when opposed by men and devils alike. Your salvation is secure when you are in the flock of Christ. It cannot be stolen or misplaced. You did nothing to earn it, so you can do nothing to lose it. Once you have repented of your sins and placed your trust in the redemptive blood of the Lamb, the guarantee of your relationship with God is sealed forever and secure. Charles Spurgeon also wrote, Happy are we who belong to such a shepherd whose humanity communes with us and whose divinity protects us. In conclusion, I would like to share with you a shining example of someone the Lord led as good shepherd through the valley of shadow of death and into green pastures while traveling the path of righteousness. This man is Joseph, the son of Jacob. And his story is told in Genesis 37 to 50. In summary, as a young man of 17, Joseph was despised by his brothers. They conspired to kill him and threw him in a pit, but then had a change of heart and instead sold him into slavery. Joseph was taken to Egypt while he was bought by Potiphar, the captain of the guard under Pharaoh. Genesis 39.2 tells us that the Lord was with Joseph in his slavery and made him successful. Joseph served Potiphar well, and Potiphar made Joseph overseer of all he had. We're told that the Lord blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. But Joseph was later accused falsely of wrongdoing by Potiphar's wife, who lusted after the young man and was refused by Joseph's faithfulness to God and his loyalty to his master Potiphar. As a result, Joseph was unjustly sent to prison for a crime he did not commit. And Genesis 39.21 tells us that the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the prison keeper. The keeper would ultimately put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. And whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph came to the attention of Pharaoh to interpret a dream, causing Pharaoh to proclaim in Genesis 41, verse 38, Can we find a man like this? In whom is the Spirit of God? So at age 30, 
Joseph was put in charge of all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. In recognizing the blessing that God had given him, even in his trials, as Joseph followed God on the path of righteousness, Joseph would name his first son Manasseh because the Lord made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. That is the wrongs that were committed by his brothers. He named his second son Ephraim because the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Oh, that you and I would proclaim that. In Genesis, oh, excuse me, at the Lord's direction, Joseph saved Egypt and many in the surrounding land from a seven-year famine, including his own brothers who came to Egypt to buy food. How's that for a switch? After their father died, Joseph's brothers feared that he would enact revenge upon him for their deeds when he was younger. That'd be the, the perfect movie of the week on any network TV. Young man goes through hardship and finally gets revenge upon those who have wronged him. The evildoers get their comeuppance. That's what human justice would demand, our own sense of righteousness. But in following God along the path of righteousness, Joseph did something different. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 21, Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is countercultural for what we're used to, what we'd expect, yea, even what we ourselves may do. But Joseph understood that his shepherd provided for them, even in terms of hardship and, and unjust, beha uh, unjust behavior from others toward him, that he gave him success so that he was put in a position to save many lives. And he did the right thing before God every step of the way when he had opportunity to compromise his integrity, to be unfaithful to God and go with the flow. He instead pursued righteousness. Like David, Joseph followed the Lord as his shepherd and came to depend upon him for all things. God led Joseph in the path of righteousness through the valley of the shadow of death. We can trust that our good shepherd knows us leads us, feeds us, and protects us in good times and in bad. It is liberating in this age of uncertainty and wickedness to know that there is a sovereign Savior who will see it through us, see us through it, if we will just put our trust in Him. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, You are a great and awesome God. Lord, we thank You for giving us your son as a sacrifice on our behalf to cover our sins, Lord, that we might enter into his flock, Lord, that we would become 
your sons, we would become co-heirs with Christ. Though there are good times and bad on this earth, Lord, we can rest in the assurance, not of our own cleverness or our own strength, ingenuity, but Lord, upon the act that Christ has already done, that gives us a right relationship with you, that gives us an, an avenue when all human intervention would fail us. We ask, Lord, that you would impress these truths upon our heart today, that we would conform our lives as David did, as Joseph did, to trust in Jesus, to follow him as shepherd, and Lord, to be led by him along the path of righteousness. These things, Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.